Father, we believe that You're doing amazing things in our midst. Father, we just ask You to open our hearts even right now to receive Your Word. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Everyone say exceedingly, Amen. abundantly, Amen. above. How many of you believe that's where God has taken us today? Those are not just some kind of positive words. Those are prophetic words. Those are words that God wants to kind of just impregnate our hearts and our lives. But I want to take you into Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or either he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God or mammon. Therefore I say unto you, do not worry. Look at your neighbor and say, stop worrying. Amen. No worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food of the body and more than clothing and even more than your agenda? Amen. More than our schedule. Look at the birds. Everyone say, look at the birds. Look at the birds. Jesus is saying, I want you to look at the birds, because nobody's looking at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value, have more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry. Say it again. Do not worry. Four times, Jesus says, stop worrying. Stop putting your faith in the things around. Stop worrying. Don't worry about it. What shall we eat or what shall we drink? For after these things, the Gentiles, which were unbelievers at that time, they seek these things. Because their significance and their sense of value and purpose is based on what they feel they can do or fix in their own power. Jesus says to those who are in the kingdom, don't worry about that for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added. Everyone say added. How many of you like addition? Amen. God wants to add to your life. He also wants to multiply your life. Amen. Because He's put something powerful in your life. That's the Holy Spirit. He wants to add. But you know, some things, sometimes God does some subtraction. He wants to remove things that hinder the flow of the addition. God wants to add to your life. You know, years ago, uh, by the way, my series here is on building for the future. How many of you believe it's important to have a future? God wants you to have a future. He wants you to resurrect that dream. He wants to begin to move in our spirit, in our lives. And part of moving into the future is when God begins to shake up the nest. And He begins to bring changes into our life. So we begin to see the future. Because you know what happens with 
us as believers and as people, we tend to get into ruts, don't we? Anybody ever gotten into a rut before? You can get into a rut of depression. You can get into a rut. And sometimes God comes in and He begins to shake things up. He begins to stir things up. Or maybe He might even put you into something you don't even know what you're into. How many of you know sometimes, like Abraham, we're going out, but we're not knowing where we're going? But Abraham went by faith. Amen? i got to tell you a quick story, a short story. Years ago, my dad decided to get my brother and I, when I was really young, into a soccer, into a soccer, uh, uh, intramural soccer game. And I'll never forget this. I was so young. In fact, do you know that I never even had a chance to go to the practices because my dad had signed us up so late. So when I first got to the field, by the way, back in those days when you were just a little guy like I was, they actually had us on a full-size football field, if you can believe that. And so my coach says, hey, Ray, come on over here. You see that goalie over there, that goal? I want you to go play goalie. I said, what's a goalie? I'm pointing at it. So I walked over. I had no idea what a goalie was. I, I just knew. And so I'm standing there. And by the way, my, my teammates were like dots. So they were so f- small and so far away. And you know, I was out there. I had no knowledge of the game. I had no knowledge of why I was standing in front of this massive size net. It was a full size. I'm standing out there. I have no idea what I'm doing. Finally, after being bored for about 10 minutes and all my teammates are out there running after some ball and I had no idea what I was doing. And I was so finally, I just kind of leaned over against the goalpost and I was just kind of standing and I'm just kind of watching the birds go by. And, and then I saw one of my teammates playing with a big old brown Labrador dog. And I'm thinking, man, I wish I was over there petting that dog. And I'm inside of this game and I, I had no knowledge of what I, I was part of this team and in this game. And, and I'm sitting over there watching the Labrador and all of a sudden, the other team made a substitution, and this big guy comes out. He comes out on the field, and he's all of a sudden gets a hold of the ball, and they all start to come towards me. And my dad, my dad and the coach, they yell, Ray, guard the goal! And I'm saying, what? 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 What is that? Guard the goal! What, what goal? And this kid's coming down, this big kid's running down. And he, he gets about 10 feet and then he just hauls and kicks the ball. The ball hits me and deflects off the goal. And I come walking. I can't believe it. And I come to the goal line on the sideline. I can't believe that they kicked me with the ball. And the coach said, wait, what are you doing? Get back there. Well, the guy went ahead and made it goal because I, I went off the field. I didn't know what I was being kicked for. I had no knowledge of the game. I didn't even know what a goalie was. And, and everybody's cheering me on. But Dad said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. See, that's, that's the way some people are in the kingdom. They're getting hit. They're taking hits, and they don't even know what they're a part of. 
They don't even know that God's put them in a game. He's, although it's not a game, this is warfare. There's a real battle being played. And they don't even know their place. They don't even know their position. And the devil is socking them right and laughing. And they come crying, Pastor. I just don't understand what's hitting me. I just, I've been just getting hit right and left. I, don't I said, do you understand God's put a call on your life and a position? He's put you right in the thick of a battle because he sees potential in you. You see, our fut- building for the future starts with vision. Can we go ahead and put that up there? Five things, really quickly. I want you to write these down. Having a vision that comes from an impartation of hope, value, and expectation. How many of you know it's important that if you're going to know how to play the game and understand the, the, the thing that's going on, you need to know what's going on. You need to know who you are. Not just what to do, but who you... See, vision is not about what you do. We're not talking about a building program or a project. Vision in the kingdom. When Jesus comes down to verse 33 and He says, Seek first the kingdom. You know I've come to find that verse 33 can actually become a snare. Well, the Bible says to seek first the kingdom. But you know, if you don't understand who you are, you can begin to seek God for the wrong reason and the wrong way. How many out there have ever done this? You open your Bible and you say, you know what, I read my Bible, I pray, I tithe, I give to go to church, and I'm still burned out. I'm still tired. You know why? Because you're doing it the wrong way and for the wrong reason. You can actually read your Bible to try to fix yourself, but you never really come to know the one who wrote it. Seeking first the kingdom is not about getting smarter. It's not about just knowing the Bible. It's not about coming. If you are not connecting with Jesus, our vision, building for the future, because Jesus spends eight verses, eight verses talking about the Father. And He says this, Stop Worrying. Stop worrying about what you're going to dress, what you're going to eat, how your income's going to come in. By the way, these people weren't living hand to mouth in this time. But Jesus said, stop worrying. Your heavenly Father knows that. How many of you know that when you begin to trust Jesus, what trusting means is you enter in to rest. Everyone say rest. See, if you're going to have a vision... Vision means I'm no longer striving and struggling and I'm no longer doing things because I have to do Jesus said to seek first the kingdom and you're seeking and you're trying so hard. But you've never really come to Christ. You never allow Jesus to refresh you. We have so many people in the body of Christ with a Martha spirit. A Martha spirit. She's troubled about many things. Troubled and worried about this and Jesus. And all of a sudden, when you're troubled about many things, two things happen. You get mad at God and then you get really critical with people. Because they're not fitting in to your plan. And they're not working the way you think they should work. Let me say to you, when you're entering into rest, now we're in. God, thank God, they're your problem. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're God's problem. Oh, wow, we need a prayer request right there. You're God's problem. But see, seeking first the kingdom is not about what you do. But we fall into the trap of doing. But seeking first the kingdom is first being. 
before doing. I am in Christ. I am more than a conqueror. I am blessed. And so when you seek Him, you seek Him from a place and a position of victory and power and glory and rest. You're not seeking Him to fix yourself or to fix your problem. Some people come to church. I hope you're getting this as you're nudging your husband or your wife. Did you get this? This this is for you. In Jesus' name, I cast that demon out. (laughs) Resting means, Lord, I'm going to stop trying to change my brother, my sister, my husband, and wife. Lord, they're your problem. I'm here to simply drink and be refreshed. Why are we preaching first today? Because there's going to be a powerful worship service following this message, and we're all going to enter into the presence of God. It starts with a vision. Number two. Number two. Simplify. Everyone say simplify. Simplify. Do you know what people do? They complicate their lives. We think that when they become a Christian, well, I just got to get in church. I got to tithe more. I got to start reading my Bible through in one year. I got to do this and I got to do that. I got to give and I got to sacrifice. And I got to do this and I got to do that. God says simplify. God's not interested in cluttering your life. But we think, well, I'm a Christian and I got to get more busy. We had an amazing couple here a couple years ago come to our church. Amazing abilities, grace. They came from a big, huge megachurch. The wife was connected on staff with this megachurch. And, you know, the Lord, as, as a pastor, you, the Lord gives us discernment. And I recognize certain gifts and anointings on this couple. I went up to them. I said, man, we'd love you to get into our membership. Love you to plug in. You know what they said to me? No kidding. They said, Pastor, we love the church, but we're not here to get plugged in. We're exhausted. We're tired. We came from a huge, massive, megachurch situation, and we are not doing anything. I said, no problem. No problem. And I, I, as I got to know them, I began to realize that they were in a church where they were serving. I didn't say this to them because I hadn't developed a role, but I realized that they were serving to find approval, and to please the pastor. How many of you know you can never please anybody enough? And so when you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you find out that you're serving out of strife. And when they don't fulfill the expectations you hope they would give back to you, you end up throwing in the towel and say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. You see, God's interested in you first finding Him rather than coming and burning yourself out. Everyone say simplify. How do you simplify your life? Number one, here's how you simplify. You get focused. Make the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? The main thing is that Jesus is feeding me. I'm being refreshed by the water of His presence. I'm drinking. If you are trying to serve, but you haven't first been healed or served and blessed and empowered, then you're running on empty. And you will drop dead. Simplifying your life means discerning. Everyone say discernment. You've got to learn to say no. Everyone say no. I know it's a nasty word, but you've got to learn to say, no, I can't do it. No. Everyone say no. It's okay to say no, but it's also good to say yes to the right thing. 
there's, 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 a, there's a right thing and there's a lot of wrong things. Do you know, I'm going to say something that some, some of you may not know. Do you know that the devil opens more doors than God does? The devil opens more doors and they're attractive doors. They look like the right doors, the good doors. It's a good door, it's a right door. But you know what he's trying to do? Distract you and then he's trying to wear you out. Get you angry and then give up on God. God has a door. Is a door that's the right door. But you must wait on Him and He will show you. He's not playing a guessing game. Simplifying your life. Number, everyone say simplify. God wants you to simplify. Number three, vision involves, or your future involves passion that flows from an encounter. You know what? Vision gives you a picture of your destination. But passion is the fuel that gets you there. If you don't have passion, you'll burn out even though you got a great vision. By the way, I'm preaching to myself. I've had great visions in my life. Guess what? I didn't have the passion to get there. You know why? Because I didn't take the time to refuel. I didn't take the time to drink. I didn't take the time. You know another thing? The reason why you don't refuel is because you're serving for the wrong reasons. You're serving because your sense of identity becomes wrapped in with what you do then who you are and who's really in charge. Are you hearing me this morning? See, passion. I remember hearing this man, a story, Parkdale, Oregon, south of Hood River where I used to live. This guy uh, uh, was a single man most of his life. And uh, he decided to embark on building this five-bedroom big, huge ranch-style home with a gorgeous view of the Hood River Valley area in the Oregon Cascades. Beautiful house. Parkdale is a small town south of Hood River. And a lot of people came up and said, what are you building such a big house for just you for? And this guy was in his middle 40s. He said, well, I'm going to have a family. And everybody's thinking, wow, who's the lucky lady? He says, well, there is none. You're building a house for a family of five and three baths, and you, you have a girlfriend? No girlfriend. I just believe I'm going to have a family someday. I'm just trusting God. I just believe. You don't even, are you dating anybody? Are you dating anybody? No, not even dating anybody. But I, It's kind of like being pregnant. She's coming. She's coming. She's on her way. You're not even date, no, but I'm planning for my family. How many of you know God's promises are like that? God's promises, when you focus on his promise, it begins to adjust your course. Abraham was in Chaldea, Babylon. God gave him a promise, and he said, Abraham, I'm calling you out to bring you in. Listen to me. You're never going to inherit the promises of God until you hate where you're at. You will never love God enough to make the kind of changes necessary until you hate where you're at mentally, spiritually, emotionally. You've got to hate. If you are in a rut, it's because you got used to being in a rut. God wants to enlarge. Everyone say enlarge. See, God told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to make you a blessing, and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's what God says. 
His wife was barren, and there, he gets this word at 75 years old. Guess what, man? This guy is getting old, and God gives him a word in the latter part of his life where most of us would write somebody off. God says, Abraham, your life is just beginning. And the Bible says that Abraham departed. He, Everyone say departed. Passion moves you. It moves you to take the next step. But if there's no passion, you can have vision, but if you have no passion, you're going to stay where you're at. Passion moves you. The Bible says, so he departed. Why? Because God was getting bigger and his problems were getting smaller. Passion happens when God becomes so great, so good, so exceedingly abundantly above what you could ask or think, and you begin to move towards that vision. Passion. Everyone say passion. I need passion. How many here need passion today? Father, baptize them with the Holy Ghost and with the fire, with vision and promises in Jesus' name. We come against the spirit of apathy. We come against any kind of anything that would destroy, kill, or deaden their passion in Jesus' name. Number four. Number four. Serving and investing in people. Our future all revolves around people. Now you may say, no, that's not me. I'm a lone ranger. Guess what? There is no vision and there is no passion without people. God never intended. I am so glad that I got my little pinky finger. I'm glad it's not amputated. I'm glad I got my left foot, my right foot. I'm glad I got a nose. I got it. I'm glad. I'm glad I got all the hair I have. Praise God. I need everything. Paul likens the church to a body. And God wants you to invest. The Bible says God sets the solitary in families. Everyone say family. Families. God never intended for us to be islands. He intended for you to connect. The future involves people. People. What do I do with people? I talk to people. I love on people. When, by the way, about five, six, seven years ago, I read an article on the internet from the New York uh, Journal of Medicine. This was on the internet. Big, huge discovery from the, the, the school of psychology and psychiatrists. This major discovery that when I read it, I, my jaw dropped on the floor. I couldn't even believe that they've discovered in the area of mental health that people that suffer under manic depression, severe depression, we have discovered, this is what it said, we have discovered that when people get their eyes off themselves and actually help other people, it breaks the depression off them. And I'm thinking, this has been around for 2,000 years. It's in the Bible. Do you want to know how to break depression? Get your eyes off of you and start helping someone else. It is amazing what it does. Jesus said it's more blessed to what? Give. Than to just get. We live in a world of entitlements. What am I going to get? What is my government going to give me? I just need somebody to give me, give me, give me, give me, get, 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 get. Boy, that is sinking a hole. You're burying yourself in a cave. It's all about you. And guess what? You're going to be popping more pills and going to more psychologists and psychiatrists when Jesus said the answer to that depression 
is when you begin to fall into line with the very creative evolution and process that God called you, He called you to be like Him. And what does God do best? He loves to serve. He loves to love people. He loves to give of Himself. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. You, When you begin to give out, and you begin to get your eyes off yourself, and you invest in people, that's what the future of this church is all about. It's about people. It's not your neighbor. By the way, it's not only just about investing in people. It's also about patience. God help us. Because God's going to bring people in your life. And by the way, they're not going to be nice people. They're not going to be good people. There are some, you know, I'll never forget. Lord, send good sinners in my life, not bad ones. No, God's not going to send good people. He's going to send some really irritable, bad people that are going to cross you and make... Just test your patience and test your giving and you're going to say, I write you off in Jesus' name. I'm here to tell you right now, why does God want to refresh you, to enlarge your heart? And one of the things that God does by refreshing us is He begins to open our hearts and to show us how much He forgave in you so you can forgive others that are going to test you, test your patience. See, to him who loves little has been forgiven little. But to him who loves and has been given much, the same loves much. That's really important. If you have little patience, little time, and I just don't have a whole lot for people that you know, they, they tick me off. Let me tell you something. Your future is not going to be too blessed because the future involves people. By the way, do you know that God even takes your mess of your past? And He gives you a testimony to be a blessing with the very people that He brought you out of. You are not intended to look at your past and curse your past. God takes your past, builds a testimony from it to launch you into your future. You may say, I never had a father, never had a mother. I was beaten, I was abused, I was traumatized. You just don't even know where I came from. Do you not think that God doesn't know about that? He knows all about it. In fact, because of where you come from, there's a greater heart of compassion, a greater heart to give and serve and help other people. And God's going to use you to be a prophetic. You're going to be a, an instrument to discern those that are hurting where others who have not gone what you've gone through are going to be able, they will, they will be blind to it, but you're going to pick it up right away and say, you know, God's got a heart of a father. He loves you. He cares. And I'm here to let you know, I've been where you've been and I'm going to stand with you all. All the way. I will not give up on you. God takes what the devil meant for evil. Turns it around. And he blesses you. He exceedingly abundantly. Just causes you to recognize. What he did in your life. He preserved you for such a time as this. So you could begin to see your future is bright. There will be no man, there will be no woman that will stand before our Heavenly Father one day and say, you know what, God? You just weren't fair with me, man. Life just wasn't fair for me. They just don't know where I come from. The problem is, you have not come to discover the greatness of what God had for your future. You sit there and you looked at all what you've come through and you didn't realize that it was actually what the devil meant to do. God takes it turns it around to make your life a blessing to people that are walking through things that maybe you've walked through. Maybe you haven't always walked through it, but God will give you. So I need to invest. Number five, last one here. 
Become a team builder. Everyone say team. team. Amen. How many of you know we need to recognize that we're a team? You know, years ago when I was on a football team, and I was a football player, and we got in, uh, my coach, he talked about <clears throat> being a team. We, we weren't thinking about team. We were just thinking about being hot jocks out there playing football and making the touchdown. And, you know, we didn't even understand the team concept. But the team concept recognizes there's a purpose. It's not just winning the game. Being a team means that everyone on the team is important. Everyone has a part to play. There's no such thing as a sideliner that's insignificant. Every one of you are significant. You're important. And God values you. Values you. Jump with me. Last scripture. Psalms 18. Psalms 18. Before we come into worship. In fact, if our worship team could go ahead and start making your way up here. Psalms 18. Go ahead, uh, team, if you want to come on up. Psalms 18. We're going to come right into worship here. Listen to what David says. Psalms 18. I will love you. Verse 1. I will love you, Lord, my strength. David said he found strength in loving the Lord. Everyone say strength. David didn't say, I will feel like loving you. I will feel like it when I want to. No, David said, I, everyone say this with me, I will. David didn't say, I will be a great king. I will be wealthy. I will conquer the Canaanites. I will be a great leader. No, he said the first thing on his heart, his agenda, was I will love you, Lord. Some of you had to make a decision. I will go to church today. That was an act of faith. I will expect great things. I will. David said he found strength as he began to activate certain choices. I will love you, Lord. My strength. Notice what he says. For the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and my horn of my salvation. In the day of my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. It says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. He didn't say, I will think about it. He said, I will call. What are we going to do here in a few minutes? We're going to worship the Lord for a few minutes. We're going to worship Him. David was a man after God's own heart because he worshipped the Lord in spite of his circumstances. He worshipped the Lord. I love what happens. Notice the next few verses, what happens when this guy begins to worship and he begins to launch into worship. The pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of hell surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out! To my God, and he heard my thoughts. That's not what it says. He heard my voice. Everyone say voice. What are we doing as a team today? We're going to sing together. We're not going to be on our cell phones. We're not going to be sending text messages. (laughs) Praise God. I know you're all reading your Bible out there. We're going to be worshiping God as a team. We're going to make some touchdowns. We're going to see some victories. There's going to be healings and salvations. Notice what he says. I love it. Verse 7. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills quaked and were shaken because he was angry. When God's people begin to worship, God moves. And then he says here, 
smoke came out of his nostrils, a devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon the cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. The canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of skies from the brightness before him. His thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven. How would you like to hear and see all this happen? The Most High uttered His voice, hailstones of coal and fire. He sent out His arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. God begins to expose the enemy. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At Your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of Your nostrils, He sent from above, and He took me, and drew me out of many waters." The Holy Spirit showed me this morning there's people in many waters, different places. And they've been swept by a current of issues in their life. Taken. Bible says God's going to rescue you out of the current of these waters. He drew me out, delivered me from my strong enemy. From those who hated me. I love it. Verse 17. For they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support, and He brought me out into a broad place and delivered me because He delighted in me. Can you say amen? Amen. God delights in you. Turn to your neighbor and say, He delights in you. It's about ready to shift gears. Folks, are you ready to shift? I, I didn't hear. Oh, okay. We got our sister. She's going to come up here and share. I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Where's the mic? <clears throat> Go for it. Okay. Okay, most of you know me, some of you don't. Um, I've had a major breakthrough in the last couple of weeks. My husband is the drummer, David, and we brought our two boys up in this church. And two years ago, on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, was the second anniversary of my 14-year-old suicide. And I have asked God many times why he hasn't helped me. And then I had a realization that there were times that he was trying and I just wasn't listening. I wasn't paying attention. Anyway, I've had thoughts of suicide for two years. Every day. The only reason I'm here, really, is because of my other son, who just turned 18, who I love to death. I love both of my sons. But uh, my son is a tall, very nice-looking young man that's smart. He is a musician. He could have anyone he wants. He hasn't had a girlfriend since Brock died. Uh, He just got a girlfriend, and she was talking to me the other night. And everybody has told me this. Tanner needs you. Tanner loves you. Well, in the beginning, Tanner was upset and angry. And 
he took a lot of that out on me, and it really hurt because I'm the only woman in the house. Some of you understand that, some of you don't. Um, but his girlfriend told me that she told him that if I committed suicide, he would take his life. And at that very moment, it was like a programmer in heaven immediately changed the programming in my head. And immediately, the suicide thoughts were gone. There's nothing I can do about what the devil did with my son, Brock. And I miss him so bad. But there is something I can do for Tanner and David and everybody else that cares about me. And I'm going to stay here and I try my best. And um, it's very difficult. But um, like I said, there were some things that I, I missed. And I don't question God anymore. The devil is a strong, strong presence. And he can take somebody in your family really fast. And um, I just wanted to say I'm really grateful for everybody that's been there for me and helped me and prayed for me all this time because probably your prayers have been the only thing that has kept me alive. And that's the God's honest truth. So anyway, I just want to tell you that God came through through a girlfriend and... Uh, I'm just really thankful for that, and I'm thankful for her because Tanner hasn't had anyone to talk to. He won't talk to me about his brother, but now he has a girl that he can talk to, and she told me he opens up to her, and I'm so happy about that. Can we just right now just stretch your hand out to our precious sister? This is so important right now. We are a body of believers. When one hurts, we all hurt. And, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father, for Dana's heart. We thank you, Lord, that you've given her a tender heart. And, Lord Jesus, she is going to do awesome things for you. You're healing her heart. Lord, we give you thanks right now. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So, God, you are greater in her than any other voice that talks to her and tells her lies. God, you are greater. So we just drown out those lies in the name of Jesus. And we just thank you, Lord, for continuing the healing process in her son's life, Tanner, Father, and in Dana's life and all those that were so affected by this situation. God, you are healing, God. Oh, let that alabaster jar today just flow. That oil, the anointing just flow upon her life. In Jesus' name, Lord Jesus, we thank you for Dana. We thank you for a year of victory, Lord. Thank you for what you did in her life just recently here. So we give you praise right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.